You're listening to Runyons Have Layers, the podcast where two siblings explore the many layers of life and mental wellness, where vulnerability meets strength and where every shared story is a step towards self-discovery. Join us as we uncover the richness of our experiences and find empowerment in every layer. Welcome back, everyone. Today, we're going to be discussing communication and different styles of communication. And we're going to give a general overview of some of the types of communication and some tips and different approaches that we can take to improve our communication with others, both in personal relationships and workplace relationships, and also the impact that our communication might have on people that we work with, that we have are, that are in our lives and we have relationships with. The first thing that we're going to get started with is we're going to discuss the difference and some of the nuances between direct communication and indirect communication. And I think sometimes this is a little nebulous and really like a very general term that people say that you're such a direct communicator. We just want to take a little bit of time to dissect that some and to give some examples of what a direct communicator might use versus an indirect communicator and just talk about how we can improve. Like if you are a direct communicator, how you can adapt your communication to be indirect if you need to, or if you need to adapt it from indirect to direct. So Holly and I are both, we identified as direct communicators. And I think that's very true. When we were talking about putting this podcast together, this episode, we were talking about how we approach certain situations and communicating. As we were talking about direct communication, some of the characteristics that we identified was being clear and straightforward in how we express our thoughts and intentions, being able to emphasize transparency and not using vague and ambiguous language and being very straight to the point. And uh, an example that we talked about in a coworker setting was to say something like, please have this report done by 4 p.m. And this is not only direct, but it also goes into setting expectations and setting boundaries, which is something that came up in a lot of our conversation. We'll get a little bit more into that. But just as a an opposite version of that in an indirect example, the same phrase or same sort of way of communicating that in an indirect way for a coworker example would be, it would be nice to have it done by 4 p.m. And the thing about the indirect communication model for this is that it's not very clear on whether or not it needs to be done at 4 p.m. or whether if I have time to get it done at 4 p.m., can I turn it in tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. if I get really busy? Like what, what is the, the line there? So those are a couple examples between direct communication and indirect uh, specifically. But do you have anything you want to add to the direct communication? Yeah, I just want to piggyback on what you said about um, the indirect communication. It To me, because I am a very direct communicator and I say exactly what's on my mind, um, it can be confusing and it allows for a, a lot of miscommunication because if you're asking, it, it almost feels like you're asking or the other person isn't sure about what they're trying to say because they're trying to be polite, which is great. You can be a direct communicator and also be polite. Um, but it, to me, it seems like they don't, the person communicating doesn't have a whole lot of confidence in what they're trying to communicate. And so they're trying to tell you and be polite and not hurt your feelings. And none of that is bad, but it, 
it just leaves things very ambiguous and very confusing and kind of open-ended in my opinion. Yeah, mine too. I think the more you know someone, the more you're able to decode someone's indirect communication because it relies so much on subtle cues and context and like what their intentions are, but they're not really being clear about it. And if you know someone really well, you start to pick up on their tells of like, oh, they're really stressed out or they're trying to tell me this without being, without telling me this, they're trying to be nice or they're trying to be polite. And so I think the more that you are like in relationship to someone personally or professionally, the more that you start to pick up on whatever their tells are on what they're trying to tell you. Mm -hmm. And you can sort of like shift the conversation or you can ask clarifying questions to say, oh, is this what you want me to do? And you can ask questions like, do you want it done today? You know, is this something I can give you tomorrow? So I think that if you're, if you're communicating with someone that's being indirect, I think as a communicator in that conversation, you can ask questions that will help clarify and to make it more direct and sort Mm -hmm. of like kind of make them communicate directly without, you know, being mean about it, but just um, asking questions and not assuming and helping them to give you that clarity that you need so that there, there is a clear understanding between both parties that this is what I'm asking you. This is what my expectation is. And then you can then, you know, deliver on that and make sure that you guys are on the same page. I have two thoughts. One, I want to give an example of what that would sound like in terms of uh, clarifying questions. I saw a video, I think it was on TikTok. I don't remember now where it was, but it was, it was essentially um, uh, a married couple who one was a direct communicator and one was an indirect communicator and they recognized that. And so the person who was a direct communicator knew when, when their partner was asking them a question, that wasn't the actual question they need, they were like needed to go deeper. And so he said to ask, like, why do you ask that to kind of like uncover the reason and then eventually get to the actual question of what they want to know further. Um, because that happens a lot in, in my relationship because my husband is an indirect communicator and I'll ask him a question. Like if he's driving back, his family lives a few hours away and, um, I'll say, how far are you from home? And he doesn't actually answer that question. He'll be like, well, I've been on the road for an hour and a half. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, that wasn't what I asked you, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I'm learning to say, to, to ask things differently, or, I mean, that is exactly what I want to know, but to be a little bit more patient because it, it's something that really does irritate me, but it's just the way he communicates. It's not like he's doing it on purpose. As communicators, if you have any self-awareness, any education, any sort of understanding of the differences in, in communication that you can sort of navigate the conversation and you have to adapt to everyone's communication styles. I feel like I'm constantly adapting to people, but once you understand the nomenclature of active listening and things to pick up on, like body language, we're going to talk about in a second and how you can change your language and how you can understand people's stakes in conversations and uh, a phrase that has become kind of popular is know your audience. And that is a really strong tool as well. Um, So let's talk a little bit about how we can use body language to pick up on indirect communication. It doesn't have to be just about indirect communication, but um, body language for anyone who may not know is 
probably most of our, the communication that we have, I would say 50% or more of communication that we interact with on a day-to-day basis. And it's sometimes the smallest things. You're walking past someone and someone raises their eyebrows at you. That's a body language cue that is, you know, essentially signifying like, hey, what's up? Or, hey, or I see you, whatever. And uh, that's a little thing, you know, waving. Um, there's There's so many different, little micro things that we do every single day with the interactions that we have that fall under body language. And there's things like facial expressions, like I mentioned, and gestures like waving, postures, how we sit, how we walk. Do we cross our arms? Do we cross our legs? There's so many cues that we can pick up on if we're we're paying attention to those things that not only helps us to communicate with people better, but it also lets us understand sort of what their emotional state is. Are they stressed out? Are they angry? Are they sad? What is happening and how can we approach them in the right way and either help them or just approach the conversation in a specific way so that we're not, you know, putting them over the tipping edge. Also something that it's important is to pay attention to is levels and how that affects the dynamic of the conversation. If you walk up to someone and they're sitting down and you're standing up, that can affect the dynamic of the conversation. So getting on their level and matching their level to make your yourself more of like an equal, uh, that way you're not like kind of coming down on them like an authority figure mm-hmm. or something. I'm thinking of like parenting or if you're a boss and you're talking to uh, someone that you're managing or a coworker, how can you adjust the dynamic with your levels? And um, another thing, that falls under body language is mirroring, which is essentially matching someone else's energy. And if you come to them in a particular way and they come back at you um, to sort of, you can match that, but you can also like change it a little bit to where their, um, their energy is starting to match yours as well in the conversation. So those are, those are a few things that we're going to discuss a little bit in the body language section that I think are really important to communication. Yeah, I wanted to add to that. Um, eye contact also is a big one. And, um, you know, a, a lot of times, the, I mean, this isn't like 100% all the time for every single person. It is general. Um, and I say that because I cross my arms a lot. And it's usually because I'm cold. And, you know, somebody looking at me might not realize that they might look at it and say, oh, she's closed off. She doesn't, you know, want to talk. And Mm -hmm. that may not be the case. And, and sometimes it is, I mean, that is a good indicator. Um, but also just keeping those nuances in mind also. Yeah. Something I pay attention to all the time is when I'm in like a meeting or I'm in a group conversation that maybe I, I walk into or that I I'm in from the beginning And I notice how people's body language changes as the conversation progresses. Uh, Sometimes we're talking about uh, something that we want to change in our show, or there's something that we maybe we had an issue with that we want to discuss. And it's, it's interesting to see how people's body language changes based on how the conversation goes, because you see their reactions and -hmm. you see that like, Oh, like, I don't want to talk about that. Or, uh, I'm in, I feel like embarrassed about that, or I'm pissed off about this or whatever. Like they're telling you kind of where they are emotionally without directly telling you. And when you see that you can actually change their response to you by 
making your, your, your own body language more open. You can like not cross your arms. You can face them. You can have better eye contact. You can give them more nods to assure them that you're listening and that you are invested in what they're saying. So there's a lot of things that can de-escalate situations with the body language that we're also giving off. And so that's a really important thing to consider as you you, you might be going into an interview or mm-hmm. you might be going into a difficult conversation with a partner or uh, a conversation at work that our body language can not only inform us of what other people Uh, what their emotional states are, but it can also help us to shift that conversation a little bit to where it's a little bit less defensive and more open. Going back to interviewing a little bit, something that's been really helpful for me, and and this is not just for interviewing, but in many situations before a meeting, uh, before a conversation that is going to be hard with someone or whatever, but I think of it in the context of a job interview a lot, are power poses. And they're really helpful and there's actual science behind it. And they studied when someone did a power pose with like your hands on your hips or your hands above your head or whatever that has lowered your cortisol levels. And it raises the, um, the serotonin in your body to where you're more confident and your mood is better. And there's a really great Ted talk and also book that, uh, she wrote by Amy Cuddy and she, basically goes deep into body language and how it affects our bodies and how it can help our communication. And the book is called Presence. It's a really great book. We'll link it in the show notes so you can check it out if you want. But I just want to mention that little tidbit about body language and how it actually has some science behind it. And so if you're interested in that, definitely recommend that book. Um, and it's uh, it's been a really great way for me to understand body language a lot better. Since we're talking about body language, I think transitioning to active listening is probably the best segue. So you mentioned eye contact, which I think is probably the most important part of active listening. Um, Making eye contact really conveys to the listener, to the person you're having a conversation with, that you are engaged in what they're saying, that you're not looking at your phone, you're not looking across the room, you're not doing anything else that you are right there, you're present and you're a part of that conversation. And that will improve communication tremendously. I think just taking that extra step to just say, you know, I'm going to look at this person, even if I don't like them, even if I'm mad at them, uh, whatever the case might be, even if it's a good conversation, you know, being engaged really will convey to the listener that you're really in that conversation. One thing that I learned in therapy was, and it's part of active listening is the reflecting back to somebody what you heard. So like what I'm hearing you say is, you know, X, Y, Z to, to confirm that you understood correctly. Um, And it feels really awkward sometimes to say that because it just feels very, or at least to me it does, it feels very forced, Um, but it really does help, you know, okay. I just want to make sure I'm understanding correctly because one thing I hate more than anything is miscommunications mm-hmm. <laughs> because yep, the feelings it hurt or, you know, it, it messes up a plan or, or whatever. And so I um, am just very intentional, you know, about let's make sure we're both on the same page about this. Um, and that's something that's helped me. Nine times out of 10, when you do that, if there is a miscommunication, because again, if you're talking with an indirect communicator, there likely will be a miscommunication because they mean something different than what they're actually mm-hmm. saying. So this is a, a really great way to clear up 
indirect communication is saying, okay, what I heard you say is that you want this report in by four, but you're not, it doesn't sound like it's that important for it to be in at four. Can I have it tomorrow? Whatever. So I think that kind of reflecting back, like you're saying what you are hearing them say and letting them hear what they told you is a, a great way. And they're like, oh no, no, no. Like it needs to be in at four. And mm-hmm. then you understand, oh, okay, like this is a priority. I need to put this to the top of the list rather than finishing what I'm working on and then going to the next thing. So that's a to, absolutely really good thing. I have to keep myself from saying, well, why didn't you just say that then? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. Exactly. That's always the hard part of talking to someone who is not confident in what they're saying or direct in what they're trying to tell you. It's like, why, why didn't you just say the thing that you meant then? And I don't know why people don't just say what they mean for, there's probably a number of reasons, but Mm -hmm. it's just like, it kind of baffles me sometimes, but that's the hardest part of being a good communicator is that once you understand the tools, you can't unsee these things. You can't unhear them. And you're constantly having to like bring the conversation back to where you're in the same lane and you can actually find you know, a comp, the, the ending that you're both trying to get to. Yeah. I think that, um, well, I know that a lot of it has to do with how we were brought up and how are the adults around us communicated and what relationships we were exposed to or a part of or anything like that has some to do with it. And then also part of it has to do with a lack of confidence. Like we talked about earlier in, yeah. you know, being afraid, you know, I, I see this and I mean, this isn't across the board. This is just based on my own experience. I see indirect communicators normally are people pleasers and they're, they're afraid of hurting people's feelings. They're afraid. And, and that comes from at one point in their lives being shut down or told that their opinions don't matter or what they're saying, you know, be seen and not heard and those kinds of things. And like Mm -hmm. I'm saying, that's not across the board for every single person, but um, in my experiences, and I've worked with a lot of different people um, that has been the case. So I try to be a little bit more empathetic, but I, I don't have a lot of patience either. So it's, you know, that's something that I'm working on with me is finding a balance with that, but it's good for people to be aware of, to kind of try to see it from their perspective that has helped a little bit too, because the miscommunication happens on both sides and they are communicating the best way that they know how. Like you said, they haven't learned the tools to be a direct communicator and say what they mean and mean what they say. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it it really does take a compromise and work on both both ends with both people. Yeah, I agree with that. And something that I that I've struggled with in my communication and getting over that hurdle for my, like my own confidence is that I am a very curious person. I ask a lot of questions. I'm constantly questioning and digging deeper and people always, well, maybe not as much now. I feel like I've, I've learned the balance a little bit more, but when I was younger, people would tell me, Brian, stop asking so many questions, stop asking questions. And it was like, I, at a point I just stopped asking questions. I was like, well, Mm -hmm. fuck, if people don't want me to ask questions, I'm just not going to ask them. And then, you know, this problem that we have, I'm not going to ask a question that I know is going to help improve this, you know, situation that needs me to ask this question. No one else is asking, which I don't understand, but people just like kept nagging at me. Like you're asking too many questions, just like, assimilate, just, you know, be a part of the team, blah, 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 whatever. It took so many different forms. And so there was a point where I was like, well, I'm just not going to ask questions anymore. And I'm just going to like, shut up. And I had to learn 
how once I started learning a lot of these tools, it helped me to reframe things in a little bit better light or ask them in a better, at a better time or in a better setting. There's a lot of different factors, but um, that was something that I was able to work around to where I could still have the confidence of asking a question, but it wasn't ill-timed. And I feel like mm-hmm. when I was younger, it was a little bit more of like, it's on my mind. I'm just going to ask it right now. And there's still, there's still times where I do that and I'm still learning how the, how to navigate that a little bit. But, um, that's something that has affected me just from my childhood and my upbringing and young adult into like professional life and things like that. Yeah. It's so interesting that you bring that up. Cause I was just telling a friend yesterday, how over the past couple of years, how we've gotten closer and discussed this podcast and all of that, you and I are more alike than I, that I realized that we were. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of that has to do with kind of the changes that we've both been through in life and the situations and, you know, maturity and all of that. But I, I have experienced the exact same thing. I am curious and I ask a lot of questions and a lot of times it's to clarify. So there's no misunderstanding specifically in like a work environment. And I remember somebody looking at me and being like, why are you asking so many questions? Like, just do it. And, and to me, I mean, it made me feel at the time, like, I couldn't be myself and I couldn't authentically be the person, you know, the curious person that I am. And I kind of reacted the same way. I just kind of shut down and said, well, I'm not going to ask any questions. I mean, it took me a while to, to kind of come out of that and be like, you know what? I, I am asking these questions for a reason and I don't want to make mistakes uh, at at work. I'm, I'm thinking of a work situation. I I know this will also benefit personal communication as well, but yeah, yeah, I mean, and and you're right. There are there's a time and a place, and there are ways to ask the questions. If it's going to help you get clarity or do your job better or be a better partner or you know whatever, I mean, I say ask the questions. Yeah, I mean, even even like if you know if you're in a partnership with someone, you're living with someone, it could be a roommate, it could be significant other, it could be a, a kid, it could be a, a parent, whatever. Everyone has their own communication styles. And they're usually different than ours. And even something as simple as like loading or unloading the dishwasher or changing the laundry or, you know, cleaning out, I don't know, cleaning out the garage or whatever the thing is. There are, there's so many opportunities for miscommunication. And the more that we can clarify what we're doing, the easier life is going to be. It's going to be a little less stressful because then it's like, oh no, I didn't mean that. I meant, can you do this? And then the two parties are on the same page. Another really important thing I want to move on from this, uh, from the paraphrasing and summarizing is to tell, like, let the other person know that you empathize with them, that you are listening, that you have heard what they said. And I think this is a really, really important key point because most of the time people, like, especially if they're bitching about something, it's not that they want an answer. It's not that they want you to solve it. It's just, they want to be heard. They want someone to hear what they're saying and they want to hear those words. I hear you. I understand your point of view. I get where you're coming from, you know, and adding that empathy piece of my feelings would be hurt too. Or if I was you, I would feel the same way. Like adding that piece of it really helps to, helps the the conversation, but also it, helps to build trust too. Like it creates the connection and opens 
the conversation creates a bridge, essentially. It creates a bridge between you and the other person. And now you have this conversation and you're empathizing with something that they're dealing with. And that opens the conversation to go a little deeper. So mm-hmm. it can start as a conflict. It can start as an argument, but then you can change it and say, you know what? Like, I hear what you're saying and I didn't understand. I didn't realize that what I said had an impact on you or I didn't understand that this is what you needed me to do. I understand where you're coming from and I'm, I'm sorry, or yeah, next time I'll do this or whatever. So there's a lot of opportunities when we are acknowledging what they're saying that can open the door to more connection. I want to piggyback on that a little bit. You know, if someone is coming to you to vent or just to tell you about a problem or to talk a lot of or what I have found helpful specifically with with my kids is do you want me to listen or do you want advice? And or both. Like, do you want to be heard or do you want to be helped? Do you want to be hugged? You know, because there there's usually sometimes there's a need that needs to be addressed. And sometimes they just want to vent. And I also have heard and I don't know who coined this phrase, but um, unsolicited advice is always criticism. And that's something that I try to remember, because if someone is telling me about their issue, but aren't asking for advice, then essentially by just tell, you know giving them unsolicited advice i'm i'm criticizing how they responded or how they acted or their situation and that and then that can make people feel defensive and like you're not on their side and that they can't trust you with this issue and just that little bit of clarification has helped in those types of conversations tremendously at least for me have you ever experienced that kind of exchange yeah a few times i think that This sort of goes into the realm of feedback a little bit for me. At least that's where I learned kind of what you're talking about, clarifying what someone is is wanting and needing in the moment. And I think that is a really important part of like the clarifying question piece is to ask what they're needing, what they're wanting from the conversation so that you can give what's going to be helpful. And it also helps to not put them on the defensive. Because if they're coming to you and they just want you to listen and you're like, oh, well, you know what you need to do is you need to do blah, 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 blah. And they're like, then they're like, okay, you're not hearing me. You know, you're, you're trying to give me a lecture about all these things. And maybe you start going into, oh, well, you did that wrong or, oh, you should have done this. Or then it starts to, you know, deteriorate. And it's like, okay, well now they're not on my side. They're just, they're kind of just give me a lecture about all the shit I did wrong. But there's a really great book called Thanks for the Feedback. Uh, We'll link it in the show notes, but it actually discusses, there's three different types of feedback models. One is appreciation, which is recognizing and rewarding someone for like the work they do. Coaching, which is helping someone to expand their knowledge and skills. And then evaluation, which is assessing someone against a set of standards and aligning expectations. And those are three really important distinguishing formats that will help you to approach how it doesn't have to be in a feedback model necessarily, but in the context of active listening or with uh, people that you work with or people that you live with or whatever the the case might be. I think those are uh, definitely things to think about as you're going into a conversation. I agree. Another important piece of active listening that I think is crucial, especially when you're dealing with hard conversations and things that are not easy to talk about, 
And you probably are going to give feedback to someone, or maybe you're going to have a conversation about something that happened earlier in the day, is to minimize the distractions, choose the location, choose the time, and make it an opportunity for both people to feel comfortable, not feel like they have to be somewhere, and that you can both really talk about what you need to talk about. You can kind of let your guard down in a way uh, to where you're not, you're not going to be on the defensive if you're if it's a time and a place that is good for both of you and you can either agree on that or you can, you know, set up a meeting or you can do it at a time where, you know, both of you are available, whatever the case may be. I think that's another really important piece because if you're trying to have a conversation about something and it's at the worst time possible, it's not going to go over very well. And also the flip side of that is that if someone comes to you and is talking about all this stuff and you're like, you know what, this is not the best time. Can we talk about this later? I think that's hundred percent appropriate to say, mm-hmm. you know what, like I hear what you're saying. I totally understand your point of view. This is not a great time. Can we please talk about this in an hour or can we talk about this tonight? Can we talk about this tomorrow? Whatever the case may be, I think that you can shift the conversation from getting into it right in the moment and being on the defensive, not being prepared, whatever the case might be, and giving yourself some time to think about the conversation and also to give yourself the best possible outcome by having it in an atmosphere and at a time that is going to be best for the relationship and for the conversation. Yeah, I'm thinking in terms of... um a a personal relationship, this could, this could work in a professional setting as well is like a weekly check-in. And, um, my husband and I used to do this and we kind of got away from it. Um, but it was, it was a good neutral time for us to talk about anything that was coming up for the week, but then also how we were feeling, if there was anything that, you know, we needed to bring up. And it was a great time because neither of us were upset or heated or annoyed or frustrated. Like we knew every Sunday night at seven o'clock or whatever, we were going to come together and talk about whatever we needed to talk about. And that's a really good, a really great way to kind of table a conversation or a situation, um, that needs to be had, but maybe isn't the best time. And, um, you know, like you said, you can always set a time for later, but if you do have kind of a weekly check-in, that can be the time for those types of things also. Yeah. You could say like, Hey, can we talk about this at our, our weekly check-in or whatever? It's not like a super pressing thing. Maybe it's something that's come up and you're like, right. You know, maybe we should talk about this whenever we talk, you know, next week or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I, that really, that comes, brings us to boundaries. We've sort of touched on a little throughout the whole thing. Setting a time and a place, I think is a form of a boundary when, mm-hmm maybe you're right in the middle of something or you're you're trying to hit a deadline on something and someone comes up to you and kind of blows everything apart and you're like, whoa, I can't deal with this now kind of thing. You know, setting the boundary of like, I hear what you're saying and let's talk about this later because I need to get this thing done. Um, and that takes so many different forms in relationships and you can do the same thing in personal relationships. Um, say you're, you know, getting into an argument or something happens and it, you know, kind of sets you off or you say something, it sets them off and you start getting into an argument. And then I think that you can, you know, set boundaries even around, like I've heard couples who set boundaries on like how long they argue for, like, we're going to set a 15 minute timer and we're going to argue for 15 minutes. And when that Mm -hmm. 15 minutes is up, we're going to be done. 
Another way I've seen boundaries enforced is we're going to take a 15 minute break. You know, maybe we'll argue for however long and then we're going to set a 15 minute timer and we're going to go and we're going to like cool off. We're just going to be alone, do whatever you need to do, listen to music, work out, take a walk, go for a drive, whatever that thing is that can deescalate you. And then they come back together and then their minds are in a different space. They've had time to reflect on the conversation that's been happening, which I think is another important piece of communication is reflection, but they can come back to the conversation with a different point of view after having that even 15 minutes of reflection and just Mm -hmm. time to themselves to just cool down. How else do you think that we can use boundaries and feel free to add anything to to that that you want, but how else do you think we can add boundaries to personal relationships and uh, professional or whatever else? Yeah, I think that um, like in personal relationships and and this could even work for professional relationships too, but you'd probably have to, to word it a little bit differently is I'm sure that we have all encountered someone in our lives who doesn't know how to regulate their emotions and isn't a great communicator. And so they just let things build up and build up and build up until they explode. And one thing that I, and I have experienced that in the past. And um, one thing that I have learned to do is set the boundary, not that I'm not going to speak to you, but if you continue to yell at me, I'm going to remove myself from the conversation and then, you know, come back together at some other time when that person has calmed down. But that is not something that I put up with in my personal relationships at all anymore. I used to because I didn't have boundaries. I didn't have a sense of boundaries at all. I think that ties really great into the conversation we're having about communication because that shows the difference in the level of self-awareness and emotional regulation and all of that kind of stuff that Um, you and I have had to learn or teach ourselves that, you know, some people just aren't quite there yet. Yeah. I think in a work situation, there have been times where people are, you know, getting into this like heated moment or they're talking to me a certain way. And I just say, I don't appreciate how you're talking to me right now. That's another way that I think that it can, um, manifest in a work setting is that you can just like set a hard boundary and just say, you know, like, I don't appreciate how you're communicating right now. And so we need to take a break or I'm going to get back to you um, about this later. And we can talk whenever we're both in a, a good place mentally. The last thing I want to talk about is the language that we use when we're communicating and how that can influ- influence the conversation. Using I statements versus you. So for example, saying I feel hurt instead of you hurt my feelings. When you use the word you, it feels like you're placing blame on the other person and the other person can a lot of times um, feel very defensive about the situation. And part of communicating is also how the other person is receiving what you're saying. And so if they're receiving it in a negative way, then that inhibits, you know, the clear, direct communication. Have you ever experienced anything like that, Brian? Yes, all the time. I think that like what you're saying about using I statements is a really important way to convey to the other person how what they're saying impacts you. And I think that mm-hmm. there's there's some, a really important uh, thing to think about is our intentions versus the impact. And regardless of how well we say something to someone, even if we phrase it in the perfect way and we use all the tools we've talked about and active listening and blah, 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 they could still receive what we're saying in a completely different way because they have a different point of view. They could have just come Mm -hmm. out of another, you know, a difficult situation, or maybe they just left a a stressful uh, situation and then they have this conversation with you. And so 
there's a lot of other factors that go into the conversation. So I think just realizing that your intentions might be really good and you might prepare for the conversation. You might think about everything that you want to say and you say it perfectly and you don't mess anything up. But the impact of that can be catastrophic sometimes. And Mm -hmm. I'm being a little dramatic, but I think that it can go a completely different way than how you expect. And so the the language piece of it is, I think, really how you can navigate within the conversation and to create an open conversation and inviting to where you're not, like you said, you're not casting blame on someone about you hurt my feelings or you made me feel this way or you did this or why can't you do better or whatever, fill in the blank. And using things like when you did this, it made me feel this way, or I or I felt this way when you when you didn't unload the dishwasher, I felt like you didn't listen to me or you didn't care about my point of view or whatever. That's such a small thing, but those small little moments is what you know adds up and builds resentment and things like that. So mm-hmm. engaging with those immediately and as they happen uh, will reduce a lot of that. But yeah, the language is such an important part of how we can navigate conversations. You know, the everything we've talked about are kind of tools and tips and approaches and ways to come at conversations. But ultimately, the beef of the conversation is the language we use and how we talk to the other people. And so taking a look at the language that we use when we talk to other people, how we phrase it, how we frame it, is going to be a really important piece to how the conversation ends. And do you agree at the very end? Do you come to a compromise? Or is the language that you use putting the person on defensive and maybe you end in a screaming match or (laughs) you, you know, it, it like, it just does not end well at all. And so the language part of that can, can really affect and have an impact on the conversations that we have. We're going to leave you with that today. We've given you like a really good overview of a lot of communication tools and tips and approaches and ways that you can, you know, come at conversations with people in a workplace or personal relationships. So we hope that this has been helpful for you and that you're able to take away some of what we talked about and uh, just be sure to check out our show notes uh, for this episode. We'll link the books that we mentioned and any resources. So we will uh, talk to you next week. Thank you for joining us and peeling back the layers today. If you enjoyed this podcast and you'd like to support it, please share it with others and please leave a review, like, subscribe, all that jazz. For more information about us, you can visit RunyonsHaveLayers.com where you can find how to get connected with us and find resources mentioned in our episodes. Bye for now.